Open your Bibles for 10 minutes or so to chapter 6 of Ephesians. Ephesians 6. And I want to read verses maybe 10 through 20 and make some comments probably as I go rather than reading the whole thing through and then coming back. Just making some comments as I go. And the whole point here is to stir us up to pray for 45 minutes or so for the Manica people and watch God do some great things. At a distance. One of the things, before I read it, that constantly astonishes me is that God, who could, with one blink of an eye or flick of a little finger, dispatch all of Satan and all of his hordes out of the world and out of the way, instead of doing that, employs human agents to do war with them and fight them in order to get victories. And all I know to say about that is, uh, in his inscrutable wisdom, more glory will come to him and more joy will come to you in participating in this triumph. I don't know what else to say, because he could do it so easily without us. He could just get rid of the devil so that all we had to deal with was human flesh. But he hasn't chosen to get rid of the devil. He will throw the devil into the lake of fire someday, but now he... Gives him leash, lets him do great damage in the world, and then does, gives us a text like this. So let's read this to see what's his, what's the point for us of letting the devil in the world and then calling us in to uh, engage with this enemy. So here's what we're to do. Verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This, this issue of strength is so important. You see it over and over again, especially here in Ephesians. Strong in the inner man back in chapter 3. We must be strong and notice what kind of strength it is. In the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it isn't our strength. He's not saying, come on, let's recruit big he-men or he-women or she-women or whatever they are. That's not the kind of strength he's talking about. It's it's in the Lord. It's the Lord's strength in you. His strength is made perfect in our weakness, Second Corinthians. So he's calling for you to experience a strength that is not your own in this whole issue of prayer and spiritual warfare. But ironically or strangely, you get the strength by putting on armor. Now that may seem strange. A soldier doesn't ordinarily get strength from putting on armor. But when you think about the nature of this armor, it's all internal stuff. So when you look at the content of the armor here, like truth and faith and righteousness and salvation, that's all strengthening stuff. It's not just kind of out there. It's it's when it comes near and you get it on you, it goes into you. So we're, we're struggling with a metaphor here, I think, that is a little bit inadequate, as all metaphors are. There's a strength to be had by the armor. So let's look at this. Put on the full armor, verse 11, so that you may be able to stand. Now, that word is repeated three or four times. We'll see that because that's his goal in this warfare that we're in in the world. He wants us to stand and not be on the ground. When you're in an arm, when you're in a battle and you're standing, you're still got a chance to win. And if you're on the ground, a horse is going to step on you or you're going to get stuck with a spear. You're doing nobody any good on the ground. So standing is all important in a fight. Boxing, you go down, you lose. You stand, you might win. And so here, standing is of utmost importance. 
So let's notice these three or four times that this word stand occurs as well as withstand. There's one withstand and there's three stands here. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So he's got schemes in Guinea. He's got schemes in Minneapolis. He tailors his schemes. The Greek word is methodios. Same word. We get method. He's got methods. The devil has methods. He's got a book. I'm sure he's got a book. And and he's got an American book and a Guinea book. He's got a, a, a white middle class book and he's got a wealth book and a poor book. And a, he's got a book for every class of people so that his methods are tailor made for your situation to mess you up and to make you weak, to make you fall down, to ruin your life. So you can't ever say, oh, if I could just get enough money, I'd be free from the methods or if I could just get. Uh, live in the right place, I'd be free from the methods. Or if I could become a missionary, I'd be free from the methods. Or if I could not have a computer, I'd be free from the methods or whatever. He always got a new method for your new situation. He's got methods and schemes, and we we have to have armor so that we can discern and figure out how to be protected against it. Put on the full armor so that you'll be able to stand against these schemes or methods of the devil for our struggle, our wrestling Hand-to-hand combat in view here probably is not against flesh and blood. Remember what Jesus said in John 18 when Pilate asked him if he's king. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world, so we don't use swords. The kingdom of Jesus does not advance with swords, contrary to many terrible, terrible aspects of our Christendom history. It doesn't advance with the sword. It's not a flesh and blood issue. It's a spiritual issue, the way the kingdom advances and what our foes are in essence. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's a a demonic, angelic, evil power that is to be fought here with this armor. So I want you to be really tuned into this because this will be a sobering, settling issue. If you're wondering, how do you fight the devil mainly? There's a lot of people who do devil warfare in the most weird ways. Always doing something weird, you know, some and and that it probably has a place. Exorcism has a place. I've been involved in one or two major, clear, horrible moments of deliverance. But mainly, this is the way you do it. Mainly, this is the way you do it. So if you wonder, how can I protect my children from the devil? Or how can I keep myself free from the devil? Or how can I get free from the claws of the devil? Just watch now as we go through here. It's very truth-oriented. Almost all of them resolve into truth, in fact. But let's, let's walk through this and see. Full armor of God, resist, stand firm, stand firm, therefore. So you got these stands now. Stand, 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 and resist. Verse 14, having girded your loins with truth. So the soldiers in those days, you know, they pulled up their long thing between their legs probably and bound it around themselves here so they can move around. And truth. I wonder what kind of truth that is. I wonder if that's objective truth outside of you like the Bible say which is a doubling up of verse 17, the sword, which is the word of God. I wonder if he means the same. Does he mean the word of God twice, the one at the beginning and one at the end? Maybe. 
There's another possible meaning for this word, and that would be truthfulness, namely the kind of truthfulness that you are. Are you a true person? The opposite of one truth is falsehood. The opposite of the other truth is hypocrisy. True like an arrow is true. This arrow is true. I'm going to shoot this arrow. If it's got a little curve in it, it's going to go all over the place. If it's a true arrow, it goes straight to the mark. Are you a true person? Do you put on the quality of trueness in your life? Are you not a hypocrite? Are you real? Are you through and through a truth-driven person? Something like that may be the meaning rather than just saying what he's going to say in a minute when he says take up the sword of the spirit. Gird yourself with uh, sincerity and authenticity and loyalty and faithfulness and trueness to God so that you are a straight arrow with with God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm inclined to think that that is probably not the imputed righteousness of Christ here as he talks to Christians, though it might be saying appropriate and live in the joy and the and the deliverance of the righteousness has, that has been made over to your account that we have been studying in Romans. But I'm inclined to think it's something like Romans uh, 6.13, which says, do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body as to, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those from the day alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Give yourselves as instruments of righteousness to God might be the same as put on righteousness. That is become a righteous person. So in your spiritual warfare and you think about, all right, Satan's going to go after me today. How can I defeat the methods of the devil? The answer is do right things. The devil is in the business of causing you to do wrong things. When you do right things in the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll see in a minute, he's frustrated. He's defeated. He's put back. And so to put on righteousness here would, if that's the meaning, the moral sense of righteousness would be a great way of fighting the devil and doing the very opposite of what he wants you to do. Fifteen, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, that's a, a very remarkable piece of weaponry here. Shoes are important, of course, in war. If, you're, if your feet are hurting, you're going to probably not do the kind of nimble stepping you need to do in a boxing match or whatever. But the content of it is readiness. The Greek word means readiness. Preparation for the gospel of peace. The devil... And his hordes are pushed back and defeated and kept off of you as you maintain a spirit of readiness with the gospel. I think that's the gist of it. The gospel kind of brewing in your life and simmering in your life, always ready to give an answer, ready to speak the gospel. If that's the way you conduct your life through the day, the devil has less of a chance of tripping you up and messing you up. And so I think this idea of, of readiness or preparation with the gospel is a, a protective armor device, even though it's just shoes, gets you from one place to the next or makes you able to step where you need to step and say what you need to say. 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield 
of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith. Shield. Darts coming at you. And you see them coming and you, and you put, and they stick in the, they stick in this asbestos shield and they go out. They don't catch the shield on fire. You can't, the devil can't do that. Shield means he's, you're holding it up there. Now what, here's the question. Faith in what? Well, my father's in the hospital right now and much sicker than I thought he was going to be as I spent four days with him last week because he had a hip replacement for the second time. And now he's got some terrible gallbladder problem and he's full of infection and he's got a fever and they can't do surgery. And I hope they'll do it tomorrow morning. And uh, I'm, I think my father may die in the next few days. It's that serious. Now, fiery darts can come at you at that moment of um, disappointment or regret or anger or fear or loneliness or incapacitating grief. Those kinds of things can go. Now, when you when you put up the shield of faith, practically, what do you really do? What do you do? What do you believe? What does faith believe at that moment? And the answer is faith moves through the Bible or through the memory bank of the Bible, laying hold on particularly suited promises for that crisis. So, for example, my father and I had some wonderful times in the word while we were there in the hospital room together. And and I I didn't know how serious it was when I left on Thursday morning. Um, But now I've been going back over and over again to Romans 14, where it says, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If he live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. To establish my myself in the confidence that my dad is a, a wonderful believer, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Then I've thought about to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's true for my dad. David and I, David Livingston and I, as we walked home today, we have, we're the same age. We have dads the same age. We've lost our moms. There's a lot of, we have one older sister, a lot of parallels in David's in my life. And so we can empathize pretty good. And we were talking about, about, uh, only wanting daddy to live if it's Christ. I pray often prayers like this for myself and now for daddy. Lord, only let me live so long as I will not bring reproach upon you and take me the moment I have ended my capacity to bring you glory because I don't want to outlive my faith. I don't want to outlive my honoring of you and you know where that is and I don't. I don't know where it is for my dad. It is possible for an 80 year old man to become a mean spirited, bitter person. And that would be a horrible way for a man who's been an evangelist and led thousands of people to Jesus and has been a godly person to live. That would be terrible for him to bring reproach upon the gospel. So I found myself praying as I stood outside the x-ray room 10 o'clock Wednesday night. Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I know this. Give my dad life if it can be Christ and take my dad if it would spare any reproach upon the gospel. And I pray that for myself very regularly. 
So we quench the fiery darts with particular promises tailor-made for the crises of our lives. The helmet of salvation, you see that in verse 17, love your salvation and it will protect your mind and your whole self. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Do like Jesus in the wilderness. How did he fight the devil? He just quoted scripture to him. He had a little dagger in his hand and every time the devil said, you know, turn this stone to bread and show that you really are something. And, and he just said, quote, man shall not live by bread alone, quote from Deuteronomy. And, uh, you know, jump off the temple, quote from Deuteronomy, don't tempt God. And bow down before me, quote, God only show you worship. Just quote, 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 quote. Just quote the Bible back to the devil. Do this, do this with every kind of temptation and test that rises in your heart. And then, just wrapping it up here, comes this wonderful call to prayer. And it's just a participle in verse 18 in the original. It gets a little long, so in English they, they break it up with sentences. But it goes like this. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying with all prayer. Take the sword of the Spirit, praying. Take the sword of the Spirit, praying with all prayer and petition. All kinds of prayer probably means. All kinds of praying and all kinds of petition. At all times, every occasion. In the Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. Don't just pray human prayers. Use the Spirit's inspired word and ask the Spirit to anoint you to have energy and guidance in your prayer when you pray. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So pray big sweeping prayers for Guinea. All the saints in Guinea. There are many. There are many saints among the Manica anyway. Pray for all of them. Just big sweeping prayers. My guinea moment is 8.45 Saturday morning. Shar, thanks to Shar and her effort to get everybody praying around the clock here. So 8.45 Saturday morning, I'm on my knees for 15 minutes over my Bible for the mannequin. Just, I got my big list of all the missionaries. I just flip through those pages praying for each of those missionaries. And then I close it and I just read some portion of scripture and play, pray that for the Muslims and pray that for the cause of Christ. And whatever comes to my mind... And those 15 minutes go by pretty quickly. Now, last comment. What what did Paul want to be prayed for? He's a missionary here. And he said, uh, on verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance, word, may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. <laughs> Just pray that I can open my mouth. Pray that I would have a word when I need a word to make known the The mystery of the gospel with boldness. Paul asked for prayer for boldness. I mean, there's not a more bold person in the universe than the Apostle Paul, except Jesus, maybe. And he knew he was dependent on prayer for it. Isn't that amazing that Paul would ask the church? And he he, he doesn't stop with once. He says it again, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I, in proclaiming it, may speak. There it is again. Boldness, openness, this Greek word parousia. Just confident, open speaking. There's not a person in this room and there's not a person who's ever lived who doesn't struggle with timidity, fear, anxiety, and hesitancy to say what ought to be said. Everybody has, including the Apostle Paul, and we need to pray for each other and pray for the missionaries who are there. We need to open our mouths tonight in prayer and say, whoever's there, oh God, may the 
the national Manica believers and may the missionaries who are there have boldness to speak the word, to say and to teach the gospel so that they hear the whole counsel of God. So let's let's be uh, earnest in our being strong and fighting against the devil and in our praying for the Manica, including the next time.